I'm sorry. The tech oh, guy. No. The tech I'm guy. Desktop. I'm desktop now. I haven't had a problem since. All right. Well, we're, we're desktop and we're uh, live here, at least recording this intro right now. Tyler's confessing his uh, technical. I'm sorry. His I'm sorry, te- everyone. Sorry for <laughs> yeah. what you're about to listen to. This is, this is how we're starting this episode with uh, yeah, Tyler's public <laughs> apology in regards to uh, his technical difficulties. Of all, of all people to drop a call, you know, Tyler, I didn't think it would be you here when we have. I did the best uh, I could, uh, considering the circumstances, and uh, you know what? It's still a quality, still a quality podcast. Oh yeah, a, a, a slight no. little yeah. here and there, minimal. But that's part of it. That's part of the process. That's yeah. No, you're right. We're only like what? This is like 20 episodes in, 19 episodes <laughs> in. So I'm still learning as I go. And yeah, I want to say uh, thank you for helping me learn all this stuff because really, uh, there's one of thing. I'm, one thing I'm grateful for is you. Um, yeah, having oh, websites down. You. Well, yeah, that's 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 my gratitude for the day. I'll. Um, I'll throw it back at you. What are you uh, grateful for here today? I'm, I'm grateful. I mean, I, I'm sure I'm in a new place right now. And one thing that I, one thing you do take for granted when you don't have it is like, we've got beautiful natural lighting here. Oh yeah. And just, just that. to, just to have, um, you know, a well lit area, it just makes you feel a little bit more connected to nature and just, just a world at large. And so I've got a beautiful view. I can see sort of Toronto at a, at a nice scale and it just makes me feel actually in a way very grounded. Uh, nice. Well too. So, um, yeah, thankful for many things, but especially on the day like this, it's, uh, that's it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that is, so, that is a good one. And thanks. Uh, yeah, well, thanks for saying that. And thanks for being here. I guess we did a total like reverse intro in that we just started talking. This is Tyler Bryden here with me on this episode of Rewild My Bio. Welcome, everybody. Um, so yeah, no, I wanted to say, uh, I wanted to just throw that out there because yeah, people don't know what exactly is going on here. But this is, epi- this is episode 19 and I've got Tyler here on the intro with me because Tyler is my co-host here in this episode where we talk with Kyle Bueller. And Kyle is the co-founder of Psychedelics Today an education website that offers weekly podcasts and online courses and a whole ton of content that I think is a honestly like a wicked, wicked resource in terms of using psychedelics for medicinal and health purposes and, and yeah. doing that safe. Um, and it's just, it's amazing. Like this, this podcast here, there's a lot on my mind about what I learned, but just reflecting on using psychedelics in a more ceremonial or medicinal and way and how, uh, let's say over the course of five years in my experience and the amount and the breadth and depth of like quality content that's out there to make that experience actually really quite profound in terms of like medicine. I don't know what you think. I mean, I know, I know what you think (laughs) and you're a part of it too. So yeah. What do you think? Well, I just, I, I have a lot of admiration for Kyle and how long he's been like dedicated to this space. And, um, you know, not to spoil the episode, but there's a beautiful moment where you ask even about, for example, how is he integrating you know, psychedelics into his life? And, you know, what, what he also talks about is just the importance of the other modalities of it, breath work, but mm-hmm. all the other things that he's actually doing. So I thought that was a, a beautiful thing. And I can, can, you know, continue to see Kyle pop up almost everywhere, mm-hmm. uh, everywhere I go uh, virtually in the world right now. And I just think he's done an incredible job and, and shared so many beautiful insights sure. from himself, but other people in the, in the space as well. Well, it was great talking to him because honestly, we, we started getting down a conversation of, of his actual uh, near-death experience at age 16. And, you know, that, that topic being quite a counter, counterculture topic. So for me, I think of it as a rewilding topic because, mm-hmm. yeah, essentially that it's death is not something that we often talk about. And being able to explore layers of consciousness through psychedelics and the relationship between psychedelics and these near-death experiences, it's just, it's fascinating and a very unique episode here. And um, yeah, actually, you know what, it's, it's interesting, Tyler, I was thinking about you this week. I had my head down for a, uh, a proposal 
meeting at school, and I've been looking into the relationship between nature relatedness or nature connection, the individual's perceived connection to nature and how that impacts their human health. And one really interesting thing, and we talked talked about it a little bit here in this episode, was some of the science, and I'm actually going to link that stuff in the show notes. I think there's three or four papers that I've got through reading now, but essentially showing that, yes, psychedelic use and regular psychedelic use or occurring over a longer period of time has a lot to do with nature relatedness and nature relatedness having a lot to do with pro-environmental behavior and then uh, feelings of well-being and overall psychological goodness. You know what I mean? So I thought that was really far out. So it's relevant. It's starting to pop up here. I'm like, oh, sweet. I can maybe like publish a little bit of this into a little little, uh, section of my dissertation because it's, it's, uh, and that's just it. I think as we get into today, it's just talking about the proper modalities for some of these psychedelics and whether, uh, you know, that white, coat clinical setting indoors is proper for say something like psilocybin, which I think we all realize, or we're all chatting about in this episode, that kind of spirit or essence to the plant that, uh, yeah, I think, I think is an important part to it. Right. So. Yeah. And I just think, you know, just so much, so much connection, everything's so interconnected there. And the one part that I just interesting, I thought, um, you know, there was an article that talked about, you know, people were going through psychedelic experiences and then what they showed is people, I don't know why this is surfacing for me, but men um, who um, basically like 50% likely to um, have like, you know, basically perpetrate domestic violence or things Mm. like that. So there's so much empathy that comes from it and so much uh, just respect. And uh, I I don't know, very exciting. It's so interesting you say that too, because that's the same thing with, nature relatedness like the degree to which like if someone feels less uh connected with nature is more likely they're part of a you know domestic violence or or something like that so again uh interesting is all and uh, these relationships between nature relatedness and psychedelic use so the plants are sp- plant, the plants are speaking to us man we had a pretty good uh, little team for this and kyle has um you know just mm-hmm. depth of knowledge and this stuff and you know to me uh, just the way that he speaks and delivers information uh is it's, it's just wonderful to listen to so i right. think anyone who does you know uh, take the opportunity to listen to this um it's it's definitely worth it and i learned so much i was just being in, i was sort of in awe just listening to him talk yeah and that's very very fun to be a part of no it was a great episode i i'm was really pumped to have him on here and uh yeah i think it was a it was unique when talking about psychedelics because we did really hit that nature aspect uh i think Quite well. So yeah, uh, kudos to, to all of us. And yeah, actually, that's one thing I was going to ask you is what is up with all things Forest City Psychedelics or what you're doing right now? I know uh, you're up there in the big city. And I know pandemic life has got everybody <laughs> locked down. Personally, I'm thinking about expanding my mind with psilocybin in a, in a campfire sometime yes, soon. And it's just, um, you know, just, just to get out of the cage, so to speak. But it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it seems like it's on, it's on a lot of people's minds that I've been talking to. Yeah. But what have well, you, you been up to? I think that's, I think that's, you know, we've, we've started to build an amazing sort of community based on physical connection. And it brought a lot of people out because, you know, people, you know, constantly craving, um, you know, some sort of connection. And I think uh, shedding, shedding a layer of sort of ego and, and just getting deeper down into conversations about like yeah. consciousness or spirituality and all this stuff. And so I think that peeled back a little bit with, um, you know, the pandemic and everyone being confined mm-hmm. um, to, to their places. But what has also come is an amazing rise of, um, you know, virtual webinars or gatherings or things like that that have right. also um, fostered a sense of community. So I think that's a, a big piece now. One of the things that, um, you know, I think a lot about is what is the level of connection between um, someone connecting virtually like we are right now. I can see you. I can sort of feel you. I can hear you well um, versus, you know, actually being in person like we were doing the meetups before. So something I'm thinking about a lot as well and just, you know, what is the connection level that we're actually having? But I'm, I'm glad to see, you know, technology actually used in a good way here to connect people. Yeah, without a doubt. It's been, uh, it's been a saving grace as much as, you know, like someone like me who loves that being an extrovert one, but two, just, uh, 
liking that physical earthly element of, of, uh, connection. I really do feel that, uh, yeah, I definitely feel like I'm, I'm benefiting from zoom calls and things like that for sure, without a doubt. So there's one thing that I do want to mention, and that is that there is a, uh, discount code here for this episode that Kyle was so generous to offer for any of the psychedelics today courses. And that coupon code is rewildmybio, one word, small case. If you use that at checkout, you will get 20% off any of the courses they have over there at Psychedelics Today. So yeah, please check that out. And uh, thanks again to Kyle for being on this episode. And thanks to you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, if you think somebody would benefit from listening, please share it with a friend as always. And uh, Tyler, thanks for coming on this call here. Appreciate it, man. Wonderful to be part of an intro. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, part, yeah, of, part of the podcast and the intro. What a time. What a well, time I was, saying, I, was think, I was thinking about you in regards to this, these studies that I was coming across. Well, yeah, I wanted to at least tell you that and uh, well, see what we'll, you're up we'll, to. We'll talk soon. And uh, yeah, yeah anyone, indeed, who's, anyone who's uh, tuning into this, uh, enjoy enjoy the episode and uh, look forward to being another co-host soon. Okay, man. Thanks so much and uh, enjoy the episode, everybody. Welcome to Rewild My Bio, a self-help and alternative health podcast. I'm your host, Sean Slade. Join me as I share stories, science, and strategies to help you rewild your biology and redefine your biography. everybody and welcome to another episode of Rewild My Bio. Very special episode today. I am joined with Kyle Bueller of Psychedelics Today. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and you said guys, and I guess I let the people at home know that wow. I've got a co-host wow. here with me, and uh, Tyler Bryan's here as well. <laughs> Tyler, welcome. Hello. Welcome. Me back. I made it back. Yeah, you made it back. I let you back. That's that's funny. Well, you know what? That's is. It's actually you're here to kind of rein things in because. I, um, I think I could talk to Kyle just about all of his interests for like an hour long on each one of his topics, like trans, transpersonal psychology, uh, holotropic breath work, psychedelics, shamanism, all these things so relevant to rewilding and things I'm also interested in as well. So Tyler, you got to keep me, keep me on yeah, point today. I'm not, okay? I'm not the person to, to, to take that role, but I appreciate it. I'll no. do my best. Like a- <laughs> but yeah, when it comes to mental health and of course, uh, psychedelics and safety and awareness, uh, Tyler, you come to mind to be here. So yeah, Thank I think we've got, much. I think appreciate we're going to try to bring something new to the topic of psychedelics today, if we can do that. Um, so yeah, really excited to have you here. And, uh, I guess first, what I find really interesting, Kyle, is that and I know it's probably a story you've told many times, but it's so relevant to the discussion around psychedelics is the altered states of consciousness. And it's specific to rewilding in that uh, the topic of death is very much mm. a part of the rewilding uh, sphere or space. And I think that in the West, anyways, we have this kind of um, don't look, don't talk policy when it comes to death. And we do not discuss it in a healthy way. And a lot of times there's a lot of fear around death in the Western world. So I think your story as to how you got into, you know, psychedelics and your work as a mental health uh, practitioner, I think I'd love to know exactly how that kind of, how that, all that works together and how that feeds in to one another, which kind of came first. Your, your, you had your near, you had a near death experience and then that led into psychedelics. 
as well as, uh, you know, psychology and whatnot. So yeah, share with us how that all fits together. Yeah. Um, do you want me to do a little intro on the near death experience? Like, yeah, I would absolutely love to know what that was like. Cause I feel like that could add some context to everything else we're going to talk about. Yeah. I'll try to do the short version. Um, yeah. So yeah, when I was 16, um, I got in a really bad snowboarding accident and I ended up rupturing my spleen. Um, so by the time I got to the hospital, um, my, well, I, I got down to the first aid station and they said, you know, are you usually this pale? And, um, do you nor- do you have a, a low heartbeat usually? Like, is your pulse usually low? I don't think so. Um, and they said, you know, your ribs are fine. Cause when I hit the ground, I was going around a turn and there was a amount of, uh, amount of snow in a blind spot. I hit my snowboard hit first, my shoulder hit, I heard a loud pop. I, I, I thought I snapped a rib and mm-hmm. it just immediate pain, couldn't breathe. And it, it was really intense. I was on the mountain for about 45 minutes until somebody came to get me, brought me down to the first wow. aid. And when I got to the first aid, I'm thinking my ribs are broken. Something's really messed up. I am not feeling good. And they said, you know, your ribs are fine, but your vitals are really low. And we think you did internal injuries or you have internal injuries. And at that moment I said, Oh shit, I'm going to die tonight. And I started wow. to pray. Um, <laughs> I didn't really grow up religious. And so to me to like reach out to God and say, I don't want to die. That that was a huge thing. Um, So they brought, thankfully they got the helicopter and medevaced me out to the hospital. And by the time I reached the hospital, death didn't even really cross my mind. When I was in the first aid, I was terrified that I was, that I was going to die. And then by the time I got to the hospital, I started to um, get outside my body um, you know, I'm hearing the nurses freak out. I feel like I was all over the room. They're saying, I can wow. hear them say like his veins and his upper body are collapsing. I can't get a pulse on them. I mean, they were just jabbing me with IV needles to try to tap into my veins. And, you know, they're like, oh, his veins are collapsing in his upper body. We need to figure out how to tap another thing down the femoral artery. Wow. And all this stuff is going on. And I'm just like in another world. I feel I'm starting to feel blissed out. I'm a little nervous and afraid, but at the same time, there's nothing I can really do. And they, they uh, did a sonogram on me. They told me, you know, you have massive internal bleeding. You have a lot of blood in your abdomen. That's why you feel really sick. That's why you feel really mm-hmm. nauseous. And there's a lot of pain there. And by the time they got to me to the CAT scan machine, they needed to figure out where the bleeding was coming from. I was drifting off. Um, I, I could hear the, the doctors in the other room on the microphone say, Kyle, don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. And there was something that came over me. I, I describe it as like this, this white light or um, this golden orb. Um, and this voice said, you know, you're going home. You're going back to the stars where we all come from. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I it really felt like ecstasy. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going home. This is what I've been waiting mm-hmm. for. Um, and it felt really blissful and beautiful. And I accepted it. And something said, you know, this physical life is going to cease to exist, but you're going to continue on. This is just a transition. And the more that you struggle with this, the harder this is going to be. Learn to relax into it and the easier this is going to be. So I really started to focus on this internal experience. It was like going inward was about to launch me outward at the same time. Right. Um, 
And I woke up, uh, you know, the, the last words I heard before they were doing surgery was, you know, they were describing the anesthesia, but then um, they, uh, I could, the last words I heard was, should we use an electric razor or a straight razor? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> Not what you want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I ended up losing like five to five and a half pints of blood internally. Wow. And they oh, said sure. if I came in five or 10 minutes later, I would have been dead on arrival. Oh, man. Wow. Um, so it, it was wow. a really profound experience that really shifted the way that I looked at things and the right. way that, um, I was showing up in life and, and going back to school at a young age, um, trying to navigate this new way of being was, was very difficult. I had, I had a really hard time doing so. I could imagine. And so, so, I mean, that really shaped my worldview of what are we all doing here? <laughs> You know, right. um, and and why do we do the things that we do? And you know, even just thinking about like your idea of uh, nature and rewilding. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I was really just drawn to nature all of a sudden. Like, were. why aren't we in touch with this more often? Like, this is what matters to me the most. Wow. Um, well, what I think is really interesting there, and you you basically defined rewilding in a or a part of rewilding is that, um, or at least how I would say define it, is there's a, there's a mind, there's a resurgence in mindful rewilding. So it's mm -hmm. taking all the practices we would do and say mindfulness meditation and moving those outdoors. It's a great place for it, right? So you had said by going inward, you started to go outward. And it's the same thing when we're in nature meditation that we're able to go inward and quiet our breath through mindfulness practices. And at the same time, the barrier between us and nature, the tree, the squirrel, the rabbit, whatever it is, it basically becomes non-existent. And, and, and yeah. in that spot, we feel blissful. So I think it's interesting because here you are going inward and connecting outward um, to this white light and this whole blissful state, which most people are thinking, geez, this sounds scary. Like, and it's just kind of funny, like, well, why would you want to go to psychedelics and re-experience this? But I mean, um, but that's just it. In these, in these times, uh, we're experiencing these blissful states. And it's interesting how you also said that you connected um, – to the stars or how you kind of got the understanding that this is where you came from. And I had yeah. that experience in 2014 when I had mm. uh, gone to Peru and done ayahuasca the first time. It was my second ceremony and I basically had rode a, uh, what seemed to be like a subway system of light into outer space. I got mm. off this subway system and there was a feminine energy kind of guiding me through this process, but I was shown different solar systems and these stars. And I got a sense that this was my home or this might very well still be my home, a part of my spirit body or my soul, if you will, yeah. is still in these spots. So your near-death experience, when you're telling it, it, it resonates with me because I know what that feeling is like to say, oh, this white light, yes, this is part of my home or this is part of my body. And to feel comfortable with it is sounds kind of crazy to some, I guess. So, yeah. So it definitely how, does. Yeah. <laughs> right. How did that tie? So how does that tie into the psychedelics piece? Or I guess when was your first um, psychedelic experience and, and was it anything related to, did you seek it out because of this near death experience or what was, um, what was your in there? No. So, um, after that accident happened, like I came back and, you know, as I said, it was, it was really hard to simulate and, and integrate that experience. So, um, you know, I, I fell into a pretty deep existential crisis and a lot of like depression and a lot of suicidal ideation. And, um, through this psychedelic experience, I, I started to realize suicidal ideation was a remember, it, it was me trying to escape into that bliss again. 
And so um, I think I was, I always forget my age. I think it was 18 or 19 when I had this first experience. And it just kind of fell into my lap. Like a friend of mine said, hey, I got these. Let's go out into the woods. And so I, I knew nothing about anything. So like, what was what was the these? What, what, did, what, did, uh, what did your friend have? What type of psychedelic? Um, so we we had some mushrooms. I okay. ate about two grams um, cubensis, and um, you know I didn't know anything about it. I think I had I had like a mild experience like prior, but nothing to set me up. I didn't know anything about the psychedelic literature. I was going in very naive, mm-hmm. um, and part I was in a really difficult spot in my life of like wanting needing something to change and feeling so depressed so I went into this experience wanting to escape in a sense um and thinking like I don't really care what happens I'm just going to eat this and and just see what Mm -hmm. happens and that experience changed my life on so many levels um and you know as you were describing Sean like going back into the star system I mean that's what happened to me and so you know, I was walking through the woods and I, I watched my friend puke his up. I got a little nervous. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I guess, I guess we might be overdosing, you know? And I, I, I didn't know psilocybin was pretty safe, you know, right. but this is where your mind goes when you go, yeah. get into it. Well, exactly. It. And those, and back, I'm, I'm not too sure when exactly that was, but yeah, going back, you know, it was always the thing that you, your spine bleeds, your brain bleeds and all these horrible brain things. Bleeds. Yeah. That yeah. was psilocybin, yeah. which is just not the case. Yeah, and you know, my my ego was just dissolving, and I was looking at my body, and it was all particles, and you know, in some sense, I said, "Oh my God, I'm I'm dying." And so I we were in a we were in the woods on a trail, and I found this little rock, and I said, "I need to sit down, and this is where I'm going to die." And so it started getting really scary for me. Like I couldn't like hold on to any thoughts, and all of a sudden, like it just became so overwhelming, and it started to become very dark, and I said. I feel like I, I know this feeling and it felt like death was creeping in. And then all of a sudden the world had teeth, all the, the plants and trees and leaves. And I said, oh my God, like I, I can't deal with this. And there was a part of me that was like, either you're going to con- try to like, try to change this and this is going to be really hard or you just surrender to it and let the world just destroy you. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thinking back, this is very shamanic in a sense of letting right. these spirits and these elements disintegrate you. Right, dismemberment. Um, yeah. Dismemberment. And so I let that happen. I didn't know about any of this wow. stuff. But right. It's just my internal psyche you have to do is just completely let this thing destroy you. Right. Um, and so I, I, I let that happen and I found myself, you know, through these star systems and having interactions with some entities and when I got into this space, I said, oh, my God, I've been here before. And I was like thinking I was in some sort of death bar, though, because it felt so similar to dying. And, and that's what started freaking me out was like, I feel like this is the place where I went when I died. And so these entities were there and I started having um, communication. And, you know, listeners, yeah, this does sound wacky, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh, right. Um, but I mean, this... It's just a really interesting experience, and, right. and I don't really know what to think about it um, right. at times. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I was having this communication. I said, I feel like I've been here before. Have I been here before? And these things said thousands of times. And oh, I said, right. well, okay, if I've been here thousands of times, then this must be some sort of death bar. And I said, is this the place where I went when I almost died that one night? Because I feel like I went somewhere after when I was dying. Like, I came back, and I didn't have that traditional near-death experience where I was going down a tunnel of light and all that. It was like I knew in my body, in my mm-hmm. bones, that 
something talked to me and I went somewhere. I just couldn't right. remember it. And so this, so when I asked them that, they said, yeah, more or less so. And <laughs> so it's, I, I had an interaction with the wow. trickster archetype, but I yeah. said, you know, then, okay, well, mm. if I've been here thousands of times and this is possibly the place where my soul or psyche went to when I died, then, then you must be God or this thing that gave me all this information. And of course they said, oh yeah, more or less so. Wow. Um, and I came back from that going, how the hell does that happen? And it felt so on par with like my near death experience that it just blew my mind that you could eat something that grows in nature and it produced a, an experience so similar to dying for me, wow. first, like right. from my experience. Um, and again, like I've had so much time to sit with this and, you know, it could have felt like dying because I was reprocessing the trauma of dying. And so wow. that feels familiar. Right. But I mean, like, you know, when I came back from that, I didn't know anything about Terrence McKenna. And I, you know, I, when I, when I came across him, he's talking about these self-transforming machine right. elves and I'm scratching my head going, what the f- how yeah. people have seen these things and then i and then i picked up a book from rick strassman and the only thing the only reason why i picked up that book from dr rick strassman was that it said dmt the spirit molecule uh, research and near-death experiences and i forget the whole s- subtitle mm-hmm. but it was really the near-death experience thing that stuck out i didn't know what dmt was at that point and this was post the, the psilocybin trip mm-hmm. So I picked it up and I'm, and I'm looking at this and he's hypothesizing that DMT is this endogenous chemical in the body that's released when you die, when you're born. And I'm looking at right. the chemical structure of psilocin and psilocybin and how similar it is to uh, DMT. And I'm, you know, I'm putting all this stuff together. Okay, if I ate, if, if when I was dying, I had an endogenous release of DMT and I mm-hmm. ate a, a, a fungi that has a chemical composition that's so similar to DMT then maybe that's why this felt so similar and maybe why there's this correlation here. And so right. that just like got me so interested. And I was like, I need to study this stuff because right. I have no idea what the hell is going on here. It's too fascinating not to explore it because right. at the core of it, it's just, what are we doing here? And what is our experience? And here's a tool that helped me just examine death again. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the research with psychedelics, I mean, you go back in the 60s and stuff with, um, you know, the, the, the research that was hop- happening at Spring Grove at the Maryland Psychiatric Research Center with, um, you know, near-death anxiety for cancer patients right. and terminally ill. And then you're seeing the resurgence of psychedelic renaissance starting off with that. I mean, really started off with Rick Strassman, but then Johns Hopkins picked it back up and right. got that center started to look at near-death anxiety and the mystical experiences. Right. And in my mind, when I, mm. when I think about this stuff and I think about my experience, I go, well, yeah, of course, because it's helping you to redevelop a relationship with death and life. Right. And what are we afraid of? I mean, sometimes we're just not so much afraid of death. We're afraid of living. That's just it. Yes, exactly. And that's just, I mean, the two are so interchangeable. We are afraid of living and a lot of us aren't really living until we're dead and we kind of get to go yeah. back to that home spot. And I think mm-hmm. it's, uh, you did a beautiful job at kind of tying that all exactly and together as to how you started studying uh, psychology and that. So I think that's quite fascinating. Um, I know breathwork is also a part of what you do. So when did, when did the breathwork piece, because now uh, speaking of altered states of consciousness, certain type of breathwork, holotropic breathwork can induce these types of states. So um, you had sought out the psychedelics, you were able to have 
some closure or some therapeutic benefit from your whole death experience with that. Where did uh, Breathwork come into play for you? So, yeah, so that that experience with psilocybin really kicked off my interest and I started just devouring books and I came across um, this this type of psychology called transpersonal psychology. Um, And Dr. Stanislav Grof is um, one of the main theorists there and coined the term transpersonal psychology. And I started researching and go, I need to study this. Like I need to find schools that have transpersonal psych Mm -hmm. programs. So I found a little school up in Burlington, Vermont, that had a bachelor's in transpersonal psych. And um, I went in there wanting to study consciousness and psychedelics and near-death experiences. And there was a one-credit weekend workshop in holotropic breathwork. And I just saw developed by Dr. Stanislav and Christina Groff. And I go, I need need to do this. And everybody in the school was telling me how psychedelic this was. And I'm sitting there going, eh, I don't really (laughs) believe it. You know, like, eh, whatever. And and so it was a one credit weekend workshop and uh, I got credit for it. I I went down and had this experience and I went in super skeptical. I'm, I'm hearing everybody talk about their experiences and I'm just like, mm, yeah, I don't really believe in this. Like, I don't understand how breath could be so powerful. And, right. you know, I, I'm, I'm like, I had this near death experience. I had the, this really big psychedelic experience. I don't think anything is going to top that, you know, and I was wrong. Um, and it was all my big, powerful experiences wrapped up into one. And the interesting part was the somatic re-experiencing or reliving of all that. Um, so my first breathwork experience was like reliving this birth trauma, being constricted by the umbilical cord. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I asked my mom about that, and she said, "Well, that's really weird because you almost died coming out. You had the really? umbilical cord wrapped all around." So during this breathwork session, I sat up coughing, felt like my my um, something was wrapped around my neck, around my body. I was gasping for air. So somatically and physically, I'm mm-hmm. feeling this. Um, and then I got back to a similar place with my near-death experience, um, entered into this world again, um, had interactions with the, these entities and... It was so profound. And the somatic re-experiencing of all that was just like, what the hell is going on here? How Mm. could breathing produce these similar states? Um, So it's a pretty uh, intensified breathing, evocative music. So you're lying down Mm. on a mat with eye shades. You're doing circular breathing, just allowing the breath to come in, come out. And breathing is... um, we just say intensifying and, and um, deepening the breath. So making full, deep inhales and exhales. Um, and there's other components of, of, of body work and group process and art. But, um, I mean, it's pretty simple and it sounds so simple. And, right. and I mean, I was pretty skeptical and it was, it was, yeah. And that's just it. It is, it is quite profound. And I think, uh, well, I think it's interesting. This is my this is my working theory, and I'm going to share it with you guys here. You can to- totally tell Woo! me what you think about yeah. this. So the consciousness of, I'm thinking of our mitochondria. So we've evolved from these single-celled organisms. We crawled out of the sea into this world where essentially oxygen is at poisonous levels. And so somehow these bacteria decided or learned how to make energy from oxygen. So I just find it interesting as you do these holotropic breathworks, I'm questioning, is this what it felt like to be one of these bacterium that crawled out of the the primordial seas and started (laughs) sucking oxygen the first time? And it's just this overstimulating life euphoric kind of state that's very much like a psychedelic 
experience. But anyways, that's my that's my work in progress, guys. I'm just throwing it out there. Because again, it's, it's, it is though, but that's just it. What are we experiencing? Like, what exactly is it? So it's, it's psychedelics, a death experience, and now breathing. The same thing that brings us life is essentially producing DMT, this thing that is is present. So again, correlation doesn't mean causation, but it's just very interesting that we're in this time where we're starting to see um, the stuff being studied and actually understood better from science anyways. Yeah. It's a fascinating time. Without um, a doubt. It really is. Tyler, you had a, uh, you had some, you had a breathing, you had a neat uh, yeah, well, breathing gonna, experience gonna, at Burning Man, eh? Well, we, we, yeah, we have a holotropic breathing session coming up for, for this community and I'm, I'm so cool. excited. There's some guys who were um, originally trained under uh, Stanislav and, uh, and that's a really exciting experience that I'm excited to have. Burning Man, Sean and I did it. We did the Wim Hof method and, uh, you know, the, the only part about Burning Man and doing it was very dusty air to breathe in. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> intense of a level but that was the same experience for for myself and i think sean it was pretty revelatory of you know of course burning man associated with lots of substance use and um and then to have just as potent of an experience through breath work and not only that just the the community element like you said the music just everyone being in the room and having that experience together i i i found that as profound as almost any other experience i've had and it gave me a lot of hope and optimism for you know who we are as people and what we can Mm -hmm. tap into on the inside it was a really beautiful moment for me and i'm glad glad to contribute uh, with that uh, with you Sean that was that yeah was that was all, that was pretty awesome and a good ice bath in the middle of the desert is always a good thing too <laughs> cool off yeah right yeah, Kyle, uh, exactly Kyle have you ever and been Kyle, to uh, Burning Man I have sorry. not no, no it's always been on my bucket oh, list um, cool. It is a really interesting one. Last year, they did some amazing lectures for the first time, and and they brought some of the you know world renowned researchers there to just present. And uh, you know, Sean and I talked about it, but just after listening to those talks, there was no way that you could not feel more mobilized to you know try to contribute to to this movement. And yeah. you know, Sean Sean has done a lot of dedication around you know um, the work in this you know in this podcast and bringing people together and and then sharing vulnerably. Like you know, you've you've done an amazing job, Kyle, just consistently again publishing this content. And there's still a lot. There's still a lot of stigma there still is a lot of risk and it's you know amazing to see more and more people sort of um you know not ignoring recklessly but saying i can no longer you know uh adhere to these risks anymore this is too important this is too powerful i, I really it inspires me so much to see exactly. thank you yeah and, and just to highlight that that risk i mean sometimes it does feel so risky like being mm. so open about this because it is it's still taboo you're talking about illegal substances um and you know thankfully the research is there to back up some of yeah. some these claims but um you know it still feels risky i mean the the drug war is still a thing and um you know who knows where politics will bring us you know we could always have a backlash and you know things could happen but Mm -hmm. i don't know maybe i think i I have hopes that that won't happen i mean with technology now Mm -hmm. the internet like you can't put the cat back in the bag true before yeah Yeah. it was a little bit easier i mean now it's just so out there uh, right. yeah, and Kyle, I'd, I'd be interested to hear you too talk about like you know there is so much enthusiasm in this space right now something that we had talked about just briefly before we got, even started this was just the, the importance of harm reduction you know at, at Burning Man what was really beautiful to see was the Zendo project there and really you know if anyone having these intense psychedelic experiences you know how can you actually work through that how can you process and how can you integrate it I'm fascinated because you talk about a near-death experience which was I'm sure is completely overwhelming and then um, a very profound um, psychedelic experience at a 
young age as well too, in a time where there wasn't as much knowledge or access to this information. So I'd be really fascinated just to hear your journey through, you know, first processing that information yourself that you de- dealt with. Like I heard you talk about like excitedly just delving into books and everything as well there too, but just those other processes that you had that, that made you heal, that made you integrate those experiences and made you who today. I think that's so important right now. It's been a long, long road. Um, you know, it wasn't until like, so you're talking about harm reduction and one thing that popped in, into my head, you know, there's a lot of excitement happening here. And one thing that I, I like to always emphasize and, and to explore is this idea of spiritual emergence, which is a huge topic mm. and, you know, we, we could get into it. But the near-death experience and some of those early experiences catapulted me into spiritual emergence where I had no idea what was going on. It was very, very intense. So many mixed emotions. My reality was crumbling. And the only thing that I could really attach to is like coming across these elders that wrote books. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there wasn't anybody in my community that I could really reach out to. So like I found, you know, uh, Stan Groff's work, Ram Dass. Um, You know, I was really started reading a lot of like Tibetan Buddhism, the Tibetan book of living and dying. And I mean, Stan's work really kind of like saved my life. And he also was one of the, um, you know, him and his wife, Christina coined spiritual emergence as well. And so, I mean, their work just really saved me. It wasn't until like I enrolled in that transpersonal psychology program where I said, I need to like, find a way to work through this. And so part of my integration process was actually an intellectual pursuit of understanding what the hell is going on here? And how can I bring these experiences back in my life to maybe like offer it back to the community and just share my ideas? I mean, before I, I decided to uh, pursue that academic path. I wanted to go out and be a snow snow bum. Like I wanted to just ride the mountains. I mean, the common question I always get asked was, um, you know, did you get back on a snowboard? I got yeah. back on my oh, snowboard yeah. the next the next year, right and I I just wanted to ride the mountains. But it was interesting. Like I drove out to Colorado when I was twenty twenty one, and I said, like, I'm gonna go out there and I'm just gonna be a ski bum, and. On the drive back, I got this message that said, snowboarding is a hobby. You almost died once and you could probably die again with it. It's a hobby. It's fun. Don't make a career out of it. Like you have some um, interesting experiences that you need to share with the world. For sure. And you should pursue that. And so I listened to that and, re- and really kind of um, found this program where I could really explore it. The, the college that I went to was very experiential. Like I said, like I was doing a lot of inner work at that point, breath work. I was doing breath work mm. like every month, every other month or so. You know, we would have dream retreats. Um, I studied with a shamanic practitioner. And so it wasn't until I met um, the shamanic practitioner that I, that I started studying with, Michael Watson, I shared my story with him. It was my freshman year, I think my first or second semester there, and I shared my near-death experience story. And he just said, wow. you know, it's really sad. You know, if you grew up in an indigenous culture, the elders would have stepped in to taught you this new way of seeing. Right. But unfortunately, you live in this so you had to find and navigate it yourself. Um, and so that was really difficult. And it wasn't until, you know, years later until I really found this program where it offered me the, I guess, the space to explore and integrate my experiences yeah. that it really started to kind of come, come together. But I mean, there was a lot of ups and downs and definitely yeah. that spiritual emergence was 
sometimes I yeah. didn't know if I was going to make it out. <laughs> you know, I thought oh, yeah. this is going to be my life and it's scary. And, well, um, and that's so, uh, yeah. I'd yeah. I'd like to, you know, even ask, you know, a follow-up of that, of just, you know, the experience that I, you know, I personally had, you know, from a young age um, with just, you know, unfortunately, um, not unfortunately, but too large of doses with, you know, uncontrolled and, and just not the respect of how powerful these substances are. And now more and more people experiencing that, you know, that part is so interesting to me that you're talking about a spiritual emergence versus, for example, what you've talked about in your one course is like six versus psychosis and i'm really really fascinated Mm -hmm. this interplay because we talk about you know sort of the you know the the loss of reality or the connect at least what feels like reality um until that state i'd be just really interested i had one you know one lady i was talking to actually you know a range of therapists one of them you know saying you know there's definitely therapeutic effects from for example going down to peru and doing ayahuasca whereas another therapist would say oh so you want to have a psychotic break in the jungle and those are the contrasts (laughs) that we're seeing you know in this i'd love to hear your thoughts on that i think it's just yeah it's just a very interesting topic well even if you look at the history of psychedelics early on they were known as psychomimetics so Mm. um you know substances that mimic psychosis and um when you look at the history psychiatrists and and therapists would even train with psychedelics lsd particularly um to understand what it could be like to be in the mind of uh somebody that's mentally ill. That's really fascinating. Um, The line between spiritual emergence and psychosis is really blurry and it's really hard to try to figure that out. Um, Like I I worked in a a place with people with early episode psychosis. Sometimes I felt like some people might've been in spiritual emergence and other times it was very clear that they needed um, some other level of support and help. And it's a very, very tricky thing to navigate, but also it really challenges uh, the mental health paradigm and how we view uh, psychopathology and what is mental illness. If we're viewing some of these experiences, say if this was initiated by a psychedelic and you had a full-blown mystical experience and you're coming back and your reality is kind of crumbled, yes, that can look like um, schizophrenia and psychosis. Mm. And to some extent, people do have these breaks. But it really challenges our modern paradigm of how we support these people. Mm -hmm. I've seen like at the the place that I worked at, it was all about being with people. Um, People, residents could be there for three to six months and we weren't trying to, to really change what was going on. We were just there creating a really safe environment for them to explore it. And I saw miracles happen. I, I watched people go from extremely paranoid thinking staff was injecting thoughts into their heads to two weeks later recovering and applying for jobs and then later on moving out of the house. Um, And so work like that really challenges the way that Mm -hmm. that we view mental illness. And it's a very hard thing to distinguish. And I think because it it battles up against our current uh, like psychological paradigm, that it, it's a very tricky and nuanced conversation. Well, that just did um, it. I think it's a time to open up that, you know, the American Psychiatric Association has kind of been trying to control the whole way that we look at the psyche for a very long time. And I think it's interesting to see this resurgence, not only in psychedelics, but in also, say, things like Carl Jung, as they opposed to Freud's, which we've kind of mm-hmm. uh, become married to for, or at least through the biomedical model, we've become married to this version of psychiatric therapy that is so stuck in this, you know, everything's 
reduced down to something's going on in your brain. But by having these mystical experiences, by working with these plants, by having near-death experiences, we can start to see that I think there probably is some benefit into our psychologists and psychiatrists and mental health therapists exploring these things for themselves and then doing more research on it. So I think it is, I mean, it's just mm -hmm. a, it's one of the most interesting current topics, I think, in psychedelic space right now because it will take, for this to take on mainstream status, it will take some, I think, some reviewing of things from the APA. Totally. And, you know, I'm just even reflecting on a word that you used a few times, Sean, was altered states. And I come back <laughs> to something Stan, Stan talks about, Stan Groff. Um, you know, he said he hates the word altered states because, you know, it reminds him of veterinary medicine of being neutered, but it also suggests that there's a right way of seeing the world, oh. that your perception is altered mm. and there's a right way to seeing and functioning. And then you get into the, the topic of neurodiversity, many ways of being, mm. right? right. Um, so, and then non-ordinary, which I, I, I still use, um, but that's even very... Um, yeah, I can see that. You know, you know, that, that's still very vague at times. You can have a non-ordinary experience by having the flu, um, by altering your consciousness different ways. So like what Stan likes to uh, suggest is holotropic states of consciousness. And these states of consciousness have an intrinsic nature for healing and, and to move you towards wholeness. So, um, you know, it's more of an intentional thing. So like saying like, oh, I had this crazy uh experience with psychedelics it, i felt like i was in an altered state but has it moved you to in a direction of wholeness has it shifted you mm -hmm. it has this intrinsic healing nature to it mm -hmm. um and you know if we look at these states as as healing how do we then create containers for that so people can move through that without feeling shamed right, right. because i think that's a huge thing people are having these experiences and then they might be going to therapists or reporting it and then there's a lot of shame saying like oh you just took a substance of course you'd mm. be experiencing that like those those substances create hallucinations right um and so it, it really i think psychedelics in general really challenge uh the paradigm mm -hmm. of how we view the world um and and i mean it comes back to some of these philosophical questions what are we doing here how am i See, perceiving the world? this is why i think it's so pertinent to the conversation around re rewilding because we do have to relook at the way in which we interact with the world with each other with our natural environment and all these things and i think i see them as as a tool for the rewilder, essentially. And I think it'd be maybe a good time now to kind of go back and look at some of the history. And because we're talking about, you know, is this psychosis? Is this, you know, spiritual emergence? And it reminds me of the book um, by Michael Harner, The Way of the Shaman. Mm -hmm. And in that he discusses, uh, I think there's one, uh, well, he's down there working with a shaman. Michael Harner is an anthropologist from the West, and he's down in, I believe, South America. And he is essentially um, learning about shamanism down there, and he's walking through the woods or what have you or through the community and there's someone over in the woods talking to themselves, and he looks to his his mentor his shaman and he says is is that a shaman over there and he goes oh no that guy's just crazy or something like that <laughs> and that's just it because even even when you were in a community where there were shamans sometimes um you know there's a clear line between the two or there's a fine line rather between the two but it is important to have these guideposts or mentors and, and elders in our community. So again, let's maybe look at how psychedelics were used throughout plant medicine, psychedelic plant medicines. How were they used throughout uh, human history as it pertains to, say, shamanism or anything that you uh, may know, Kyle? 
Yeah, thanks. And, you know, thank you. I just want to say thank you for um, saying that story, because a teacher of mine told me a similar story about somebody going on an African safari, and they came across a town, and this uh, person came up, "Ah," like, kind of... uh, (laughs) being in everybody's face and they go, Oh, this must be the, the village shaman. And the tour person said, Oh no, he's just crazy. Right. And so I think there's like the nuanced here is we can't, we shouldn't always romanticize these states as well, because then we can get into territory where we might actually be harming the person, right? right? If somebody is actually sick and suffering, we don't want to romanticize that and say, Oh, you're just going through a spiritual experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I just really wanted to highlight that. And that's really important to point out. And, you know, there's other stories that I could tell about, about that as well, but, you know, historical use of um, psychedelics, I mean, it goes back millennia, right? I mean, I don't think we really have an understanding of uh, what that, like how far back it goes. You know, there's suggestions that um, people have been using mushrooms at the dawn of time, right? Um, in Africa, if you look at like Terence McKenna's stone ape theory, mm. um, you know, as, the, as our uh, primate ancestors came down from the trees and started to possibly experiment with different food sources, if you're looking at the grasslands of the African savannas, Psilocybe cubensis are probably growing in the cow patties. And over time, they're having you know, consciousness ex- ex- expansion experiences, um, you know, visual acuity starts to change. So you're able to detect right. line distortions. That's mm. going to probably make you stand out when hunting or, or searching for things. For sure. um, and then you get to, you know, the doses that cause sexual arousal. Pro- um, procreation happens and you're starting mm. to procreate more 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 chances of survival um and then you get to the idea of um glossolalia language coming through these like mouth you know and then the expansion of language right um you know this is hypothetical and i think you know i uh, i just watched fantastic fungi and and dennis McKenna even highlight yeah great movie great great animations Um, did not know the animations were coming like that (laughs) yeah yeah but you know even even um dennis McKenna suggested you know it could have played a role, right? There right. could have been tons of other factors, but it just highlights that psychedelic uh, and plant medicines have been part of human culture probably since the beginning to some extent. Um, but then you have like more the more complex psychedelics like ayahuasca, which I mean, maybe that started around when pottery came because you had to cook it, right? right. Now you're you're dealing with a, a recipe of the chacruna and then the vine and you have to mix those two together. How did people find out how to mix those two plants together? No idea. I mean, when you're dealing with the the plants of the Amazon, I mean, that's probably one of one in billionth chance maybe. I, I don't know. Exactly, yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. But, you know, traditionally they were used in healing or um, ritual. And if you, you got to look really at shamanism. Um, why were shamans entering into uh, these non-ordinary states or these trance states, right? Um either to try to understand where the next herd is for food. Sometimes shamans would go into these states to look for things, um, to do soul retrievals and healing, maybe to interact with the spirits. I mean, it's a very different way of interacting with the world, these animistic cultures where everything's alive and everything has spirit. Um, So, you know, typically you you look at the the Mazatec tradition that used mushrooms for a bit or other cultures in Mesoamerica that would use mushrooms and healing ceremonies and and for ballistic purposes um so 
there's a lot of different um, use contexts there w- within shamanism, and that's been around for a while. Right, without a doubt. And I think what is interesting to me is that how essentially like you say with the stone date theory, we could have very well evolved with these, or at least these were part of indigenous cultures. And when it comes to Western culture, when we came over and settled here in North America anyways, in South America, um, these practices, these ceremonies, these rituals using these plant medicines was essentially eradicated by European settlers. Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting to me now with this whole rewilding and kind of reconnecting with our land and some of these lost practices, it's interesting to me now that um, West is actually Western culture is turning towards these, which is something we may very well have had a hand in killing, or actually we did essentially have a hand in killing. Um, so yeah, just interesting, me, interesting, this full yeah. circle nature of it. Well, and one of the things too, that was, you know, really fascinating to me is what we're seeing with a lot of the research that's going on in, in the clinical setting, um, we're seeing it in, a, you know, a non-nature environment. So I'd be, I'm really yeah. fascinated about, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, they've done an amazing job creating a very home-like, comfortable natural environment but at the same time it's not out in nature um in more of a traditional um setting so i'd be interested to hear what you guys think think about that as well too what are the effects of that and you know looking through this rewilding lens of how important nature is when we're having these altered altered Mm. experiences it's it's a really great question and yeah i don't think the research is there we i have a friend that wanted to explore that i'm not too sure if she ended up exploring that question that research question but you know I remember chatting with her a few years ago and she wanted to do a research project looking at the ceremonial context versus the clinical context. So looking Mm. at how does the ceremony of ayahuasca um, really affect somebody's experiences versus maybe more in a clinical sterile environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, then you're even looking at like, you know, if you're taking that shamanic lens, then you get into the weird things of how is inviting spirit into the space Right. Right. Yeah. What, what what type of effects is that having versus not inviting like maybe these, um, you know, the, the, the different spirit entities into the space. And so, um, yeah, these are really complex questions. And I think right. it's it, it's exciting to possibly be able to start doing some research with that, because um, I always say, like, we're, we're kind of at the beginning for understanding maybe how to really approach this stuff. So. Right. I mean, we, we can really draw on indigenous practices that's been around for a very long time. But also, what about like Western practices? They have their benefit, too. And sure. I think I think the excitement is how do these blend and how can we find these different use cases sure. and really understand like what's going on here? I, I think there's benefit to all of it in some sense. And you know, I think we're just at the beginning to kind of really understand it. For sure. Um, how all this works. <laughs> it's it's so interesting too because now getting into we're essentially blending my area of research which is nature therapy and uh, nature-based connection therapies and forest bathing and grounding and all this kind of stuff. So it's interesting to me um, because yeah, I, I feel like, well, we know that, you know, research shows that nature connection is tied to psychological well-being. Mm-hmm. So I just see that the way in which some of these indigenous tribes lived I see them as kind of marrying all this stuff like the medicine is in their way of life right so um well I guess I'm kind of curious and I do have a study here do you know of research and I know there is some but um that actually shows kind of like the marriage of taking these psychedelics and being in nature or I guess uh, psychedelics increasing connectedness to nature yeah, there is some research out there. Um, Dr. Sam Gandhi from Beckley Foundation, mm-hmm. I believe he's from the Beckley Foundation. Um, and I think he was one of the co-authors um, for this, but uh, you know, correlating 
psilocybin and psychedelic use to more increased awareness of nature and connection right. mm, to nature. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's really exciting. Right. Um, well, yeah, and that's just it. It makes me wonder, it's like, well, what came first? Like the hippies out doing psychedelics <laughs> or the psychedelic, like out in nature, you know what I mean? So it, it just, it, again, so I guess I have a study here and it, this is actually, um, when did this come out? It's newer, but it was basically, I'll read it here. It's a, a large scale study of about almost 1500, individuals um, of a general population online study, they inv investigated the relationship between past experience with classical psychedelic substances like LSD, psilocybin, and mescaline, nature-relatedness, and ecological behavior, so things like saving water and recycling. And they found that experiences with classic psychedelics uniquely predicted self-reported engagement in pro-environmental behaviors, and that this relationship was statistically explained by people's degree of self-identification with nature. So I think that's really neat because they controlled for a whole lot of yeah. stuff too. So they're showing like this direct link. So um, I think there is more research out yeah. now that's actually kind of trying to dive into, you know, what came first here? What What is... Yeah. Well, and I've never had, an, uh, you know, a trip and then wanted to go punch a tree or, you know what I mean? Like cut down something like, right. you know, I just antidotally how, how beautiful the world is and becomes when you're having an experience. Uh, I think that's, you know, what a, what an amazing opportunity that we have to, 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 to experience that ourselves and then have more people have that experience as well, too. For sure. Yeah, no, it reminds me of actually, as you're saying that, because I think, um, and you said cutting down a tree or something like that, like I, or punch a tree is what you said, but anyways, <laughs> but, uh, which I don't know, I, it probably wouldn't work out well for you. The tree would be fine. No, no, exactly. Cutting down the tree is a different, but anyways, no, I remember, uh, you know, having done a psilocybin ceremony in nature, in a forest and, um, essentially going to go to the bathroom, go pee and connecting with the forest entity as essentially these, um, kind of wise old beings. And I could see them, mm. at least their spirit of the trees. And since then through my shamanic journeying practices and other, um, nature-based connection things that I do, um, you know, it's hard for me to not walk by a tree and say, Oh, hello. And really see and respect its life force. Right. So, yeah. or seeing a tree get cut down. And I remember being in tears one day, cause I think all the trees down my street were getting cut down and I'm and this is after this, you know, this experience and I'm in tears because, you're essentially killing these beings, right? So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, like, what do you think is going on there? Like, how do you guys perceive the psychedelic experiencing opening up our awareness and connection to nature? Like, why do you think that happens? Yeah, well, that's just it. I mean, the, in my in my experience, I would just say that it um, again, it's that veil. So without we don't even necessarily need these psychedelic experiences. And I think they are powerful tools to kind of unlock this for some individuals. Me, myself, always being a very much left brainer. Having done ayahuasca, it did somewhat make these veils a little bit thinner for me to, I think, even be able to entertain these ideas. Um, but I do feel that that veil becomes thinner with the use of these psychedelics and the separation from, you know, self as me and other. It just gets dissolved, essentially. And that's the other thing about this um, studies. I think they said that... Um, the present research adds to the contemporary literature on the beneficial effects of psychedelic substances use on mental well-being, hinting at hinting at a novel area for future research, inv investigating their potential positive effects on so on the societal level. So I think that's just it. Um, I think if we had a, a society that this was being used a little bit more openly and well, decriminalized and, and legal for one, but in, in in the proper setting, I think we would start to see this kind of loss of the egocentric society that we live in. I mean, I see, I see corporations as very egocentric entities. Um, and I feel like if, if everybody that controlled these big corporations that polluted the earth just got around and did 
a really good psilocybin or some type of ceremony, I really do think that we would see less pollution. Um, mm. So, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. know what it is, but there is something there with the nature connection. Yeah, yeah. Tyler, I don't know what you yeah, think. No, and I, I feel I'm actually that was a that was a that was a tough question for me, Kyle. I appreciate it. it. <laughs> for my, for my, 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 you know, that that veil idea to me, and just you know, I just feel like we walk around so much with a filter. We're we're so you know focused on the day to day task and needs that we have that we just you know even if it's sixty percent, you're only processing some of this information. And with a psychedelic substance, or even just getting into a deeper, more grounded state, it just seems to open up all this information and it floods in and that connection of your heart when you're in nature I, I i can't even i can't describe that either so that's i'm gonna actually think about that a lot more and i think one but one thing that it brought up for me and i'd be interested to hear you know especially in some of the practices you're doing i was like the difference that you see between a natural substance, say, for example, you know, a psilocybin mushroom grown out of the ground versus a, you know, a synthesized version of that. That'd be really fascinating to hear. And, you know, as we talk about mm -hmm. if this, you know, decriminalization moves forward and these distribution methods actually start to emerge, that it seems like a lot of that will actually be through synthesized forms of that. I'd be interested to hear, you know, your take on that and if you're seeing any differences or what your thoughts are about that. When you talk to chemists, they always say a molecule is a molecule. It doesn't really matter. Mm. You know, the effects are going to be the same. And so when you look at something like, say, 5-MeO-DMT, which is kind of a huge topic, comes from the Sonoran, um, to yep. yeah, Sonoran Desert Toad. Um, it's trying to think of the latin name Buffal <laughs> various toad um, and um you know for example that's a that's a thing to think about because you're, you're taking the the secretion of a toad there's the endangerment factor there and so right. some of the research from johns hopkins um suggests that you know synthetic 5-meo dmt is on par with natural dmt um, when you look at something, say, Albert Hoffman, for example, when he first synthesized psilocybin and went back to Oaxaca to bring the uh, mush yeah. uh, psilocybin pills to Maria Sabina, who is the corandera that introduced Gordon Watson to the mushrooms, who introduced to the West pretty much, she said, you know, this is really good. I can use this during the off season, but they've, oh, wow. lo but they've lost their spirit. And mm. so this really comes back, I believe, to cosmology. What is your cosmology? Do you believe in spirit entities? Do you believe mm. that the natural world has energy and spirit? Um, do you commune with the mushroom spirit while you're in this state? And so uh, to some people, maybe they don't have that experience. Animistic, right? People talk about the serpent or the jaguar. Or they're talking to the plants. Mm. I mean, I'm thinking about my experience, it was very animistic and shamanic mm. in a sense. And so, you know, I think it, it comes back to partly cosmology. Um, and then you get into the entourage effect. I mean, you see that with cannabis, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, when you're taking individual molecules and using it yeah of course you'll get the effect but what about the entourage effect what are all the different alkaloids and compounds and psilocybin mushrooms i i don't think we've like established all that and how do all those um you know the, all those compounds in there influence the experience you know influence maybe the body load maybe synthetic psilocybin might be a little bit lighter right i, I don't know um but it'd be interesting to look at what people are reporting in the research and then maybe comparing it to what people um, that are, because I mean, most of the researchers using synthetic psilocybin right. yeah, exactly. versus 
you know, what people are reporting outside. And, you know, this is going to be an interesting debate when um, the commercialization happens and the medicalization happens and people are going to be using um, synthetic psilocybin within the medical establishment, which is great for dosing. You can really understand the dose. um, But what are you missing too, mm-hmm. from that experience. Right. Well, I'd like I, to follow up one one, 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 I just, one on, on that, I just think, you know, the other thing that we've seen, you talk about the commercialization and not to date this too much, but there was this, this MindMed IPO yesterday and they're focused a lot on non-hallucinogenic um, versions of these substances. And so, you know, there's the debate versus organic and synthetic. And then also, you know, people having these experiences with a, a version that doesn't actually give them the hallucinogenic uh, experience that a traditional psychedelic has. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that as well, too. Do you see, what, what do you see? in that space yeah and that's a really interesting debate within um, the psychedelic community as well and i think we have to look at again this is such a nuanced little topic but human suffering right mm, yeah. um if you suggested mind med who's uh, developing the ibogaine yeah yeah i forget what it's called but okay here's an example of people that are struggling with addiction and they can possibly produce a compound that doesn't have the psychedelic effect, but maybe it's helping them withdraw. And right, mm-hmm. and so maybe these compounds are reducing, you know, possible deaths and, and reducing suffering to some extent. But then on the other other hand, is it actually providing that full experience um, yeah. that could possibly deliver the healing? Um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's a healing mechanism within the transpersonal experience. I'm a little biased because of my transpersonal <laughs> background, yeah, course, but, yes. um, you know, I think we have to look at human suffering and if these compounds are like beneficial, like there is one, um, for cluster headaches, for example, here are people that are struggling on a day-to-day basis, possibly, I mean, intense, intense migraines. And there is a German company exploring, I forget what the compound was, Bromo LSD or some mm. sort of LSD okay. without the psychoactive effect. Um, for somebody that's struggling with cluster headaches that are just looking for relief, that don't want to go on a 12-hour trip mm. every week to, to reduce their headaches, I think that would be wonderful, right? Right. Um, if you know you're dealing with depression and you need some sort of mystical experience to like address some existential angst, well, maybe the mystical experience is better than thinking about this biological thing that you yeah. need to take all right. the time. Right. And so I think we need to look at where people are suffering and look at these as tools and kind of yeah. also, you know, be self-aware of our own biases. Right. Because I think a lot of a Very lot much, of people, yeah. including yeah. myself, it's like the experience. Like yeah, that's what's exactly. key. Yeah. But we also have to look at, yeah, where are people and maybe the non-psycho like the non-experience is beneficial. I mean, you see that with like the ketamine too, right? Like yeah. to some extent, ketamine is a great antidepressant at times. Um, but I was at the uh, this conference called CREA, which was a, a ketamine conference, and Dr. Jason Wallach was talking about um, the dissociative and kind of like that psychoactive effect was also a biomarker for the antidepressant effect of um, hmm. ketamine. So it's just, just like, well, you're trying to develop a, a, a compound that's not producing that, and if he's suggesting that's a biomarker, then it doesn't really make any sense. Hmm. Um, so it's interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, 
That's yeah, just and I appreciate it. you pondering on that to me. Thank you. Yeah, so many nuances to it, and I don't think it's just like the idea of rewilding. It's going to be different for someone if you're in a city or if you're out. So again, there's there's nuances to this, and you can't just say because something's uh, taken out of the nature setting just because something's been synthesized that it's not necessarily going to have benefits for individuals at different stages in their health journey, essentially. And I think that's just it. We're in a, we're in an age where um, we are going to research, you know, scientifically these things, so that's going to be beneficial. But as a rewilder. And someone who's about the experience as well, but I just um, I feel like kind of to answer your other question. I think the plants know. I think the plants have the wisdom, <laughs> um, and I think that's and I, that's just me being you know coming back to uh, the way I view health very much more holistically than rather than to reduce something down with here's the magic pill or the cure. The answer is simple: get in touch with nature. It grows from the ground. Why spend money to synthesize and do this and that? Just you know reconnect, go slow, rewild, reconnect with the land, and I feel like the plants. They'll take it the rest of the way, or at least a little bit of the way. You got to do some of the work, right? Obviously, I'm I'm, I'm right there with you. You're with me, okay? I didn't know. Is there? That's uh, that's the truth. No, I think that's uh, it's interesting. But I think it's it's important to kind of bring in all these perspectives and really look at like all the different angles, right? Mm -hmm. Because some of this stuff is really complex when we're looking at it, especially when we're looking at something like human suffering. It's like, how do we? help to reduce mm-hmm. that right and maybe some tools are better than others right um for certain people for sure well here and there's a certain people so my research i haven't really decided what uh, specific population i want to work with um, but essentially taking folks in through forest therapy and seeing what happens and i just think it's interesting when it comes to anxiety depression um, post-traumatic stress injury how time in nature as well as psychedelics both seem to be very beneficial whereas the current um method of healing isn't, you know, isn't coming through, isn't, isn't providing enough help. And I think that's just interesting to see that these kind of both have this interplay together. So this is kind of where I'm, you know, a call for research as far as keeping them together and seeing the differences between the clinical setting and that. I think it's important stuff for sure. Yeah. And, you know, something that keeps coming up and um, that just popped in my head was our our cosmology and, and our framework. Right. I think like typical mental health and just the way that science functions mm-hmm. is very messed in it mechanistic versus maybe a little process oriented. Um, and I'm just starting to become more interested in this idea of like process thought and philosophy, basically because of our teacher, Lenny Gibson, who uh, has been influenced by Alfred North Whitehead. But even just this idea, you know, I was thinking about the whole nature thing too. Um, And coming from a Newtonian paradigm, which most of us operate in, uh, everything is dead matter, right? Everything's made up of atoms. And we separate ourselves from nature. We are separate of nature. We're not part of nature. Mm -hmm. And thinking about the psychedelic experience, I think sometimes we understand, oh, we're all one. We're all part of this. And how do I develop a relationship with this instead of saying I'm separate of it? Because when you're separate of something, then it becomes this, uh, I can do whatever I want to it, right? It's Mm. for me versus saying like, wow, we're all connected. How do I develop a relationship to this? Mm -hmm. Um, Because this is all influencing who we are, right? Exactly. Um, so it's, it's it's a totally different way of viewing the world. And it, I mean, it's a whole paradigm it, it's, shift. It, that's just it. It's paradigm shifts all around. And it's just, we can't talk about, I think, rewilding, you know, as a paradigm shift without talking about psychedelics and the paradigm shift. Every Within every facet of our world right now, we're seeing kind of uh, a re-looking at things and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, a paradigm shift, essentially, if we want to move forward, right? In a, in a sustainable sure. way where we are connected to one of 
one another and the earth and we're doing all things sustainably. Um, yeah. Thinking of so many things I could continue to ask you in regards to like the research on the, on the nitty gritty stuff, but let's um, tell us about psychedelics today. Cause we haven't formally done that yet. So tell us about psychedelics today and what you guys, um, what you guys do there exactly. Sure. So psychedelics today is an education platform. Um, we're going almost on four years so far. We have a weekly podcast. Congrats, Thanks. Congrats, yeah, yeah. It's been, it, it's been an exciting ride. Um, so we have a weekly podcast, uh, a blog where we publish some articles. And then um, we also are really focusing on online education that we started about, I guess, at three years ago at this point, um, or like two and a half years ago. So uh, we first started with a course called uh, Navigating Psychedelics, Lessons on Self-Care and Integration, really just trying to provide a lot of harm reduction and this idea of integration um, post-psychedelic experiences. So the whole idea is to maximize the benefit and reduce the harms and risks. Um, you know, as psychedelics start to become more mainstream, um, education is so important. And we see that there needs to be, a, there's a huge need for education because um, there's still a lot of taboo around it and a lot of misinformation about psychedelics. So, I mean, what our mission is, is just trying to deliver a lot of value and a lot of like information so people can make more informed decisions about whether or not this is something they want to engage in and try to tease out some of these nuances um, as well. And so right now we're te we teach a uh, navigating psychedelics for clinicians and therapists course. So, um, and my goal there really is to, oh, yeah. uh, you know, develop psychedelic literate clinicians and therapists because, um, you know, not necessarily that we're training psychedelic therapists. We can't do that. Um, really the only people that can do that right now are places like MAPS who will have yep. like exclusivity over the MDMA um, treatment and then somebody like Compass uh, and USONA who yep. have you know their, their protocols for psilocybin assisted therapy but I mean really what we're what we're focused on what our mission is is to help to create psychedelic literate clinicians because as i mentioned people are starting to explore this a little bit more people are bringing mm. these topics to clinicians and therapists and that shame right so how do right. we like help to just educate people that are working with others to help maybe reduce that shame to really support them because people are opening up and they're starting to have more of these experiences and i would love to see more clinicians understand um, the nuances and the complexities here so they can better support the people that are coming in. And I, I think there's a huge need for the education within this. And, you know, I'm thinking about my own experiences mm -hmm. early on of trying to navigate like my spiritual emergence and trying to find help and could for not sure. find it. Right. And well, it's like, when I'm talking about transpersonal phenomenon, they're looking at it as some sort of psychopathology. Mm -hmm. And it's like, <laughs> right. Well, it's amazing. And it, I thank you guys so much for doing that work because I've, I for one have benefited from it, at least in the last few years, looking to 2014. Um, from then until now, 2019, when I had also gone down to Solterra Healing Center recently. Um, and yeah, I think the resources, if I would have had a lot of those resources available to me, my life would be a lot different now. And of course, I wasn't able to fully integrate a lot of that stuff. So yeah, I had felt repercussions in my life and hence the other um, trip down to Solterra to, you know, work on some other things. So yeah, it's very, very important. And I think, um, yeah, the work you guys do is great. And actually, yeah, thank you. Uh, Kyle has offered all the listeners to the show a awesome discount code um, of 20% off of their courses. So I will leave that in the show notes for you guys. And it's definitely something uh, you'd want to check out. Um, and yeah, I'll leave a link in the show notes. Yeah. But um, 
Well, one, a couple more questions, Kyle. One thing I'm interested in is how do you personally incorporate um, psychedelics in your day for good health? Like in what ways are you using them? Um, you know, highlighting some of the stuff of safety and that. Is it something you're often using? Is it something here and there? Just to give folks an idea of how one might do this. Now, everybody's obviously different, but if you could share how you use them. Yeah, um, you know, that's somewhat of a complicated question. Right, you know, which, which, <laughs> which you can also defer because it is also a personal question, essentially, right, yes, when we're talking yeah, about healing and that, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of integration and long breaks. So, mm-hmm. you know, I did a lot of exploring in my younger years, um, especially after my near-death experience, and I kept going inside um, because I thought, all the answers were going to be in these experiences. And I Mm. thought I could figure out the mysteries to the world. And it wasn't until I came across breathwork that I realized I can get to these same places by breathing. So actually breathwork is more part of my path um, at times. And, um, you know, it doesn't mean that uh, they don't come and go. I always say like, it's like that, uh, that Alan Watts quote, you know, you get the message, you hang up the phone. It doesn't mean, you'll never call your teachers again. I think you should always <laughs> yeah. pick up the phone and, and check in every once in a while. Right. You know, yeah. like I just, I went down That's to Solterra well yep. a, a few weeks ago or a few weeks, it feels like a few weeks ago, um, <laughs> back in January, which I guess it was a few weeks ago. Um, but yeah, Solterra was a great experience and it helped me to remember a lot of things. And actually during my experience there, I was, I was actually really analyzing my relationship with psychedelics and, mm. and stuff like that. So um, I, I really stressed the importance of breaks mm. and really sitting with the experiences. I mean, there's been times where I just kept going in when I was younger and I got the same message over and over yeah. and over again. Mm-hmm. And I kept hearing, why are you coming back here? You haven't done anything. And I'm like, Mm. oh, like come back when you really need to check in. Right. Um, But and I I mean, really, like my experience with death has really taught me that at times is that the magic is here and the mystery is here. And every time I've gone into these these uh, non-ordinary states, I'm like, oh, I'm home again. This is like so familiar. And and to come back here and actually to do the work is sometimes the hardest. And it almost feels like, you know, at one point I was just like, I need to do more breath work. I need to do more of this stuff. I need to tear the onion layers down. But then it was just like, well, what happens when I actually start showing up and implementing what I'm learning? Then life starts to become very psychedelic in itself. And so actually the way that I approach this is how do you find more of the magic in your daily life than trying to um, seek out these experiences externally? And so, um, you know, I've always had about um, substance use, especially after my near-death experience. And I always come back, what are you looking for? Mm. What are you looking for? Um, And if you can find part of it, well, does that mean you should keep going back inside? Maybe Mm. how do you bring that nugget back into your life and to really just show up here and now? Um, So Again, it's the going going within to go without. Yeah, like we we do those processes so that we can be here of service to bring our special unique gift to the world and share to make it a better place essentially. And if we're, yeah, continually going in. I appreciate you saying that because that's just it. It it comes down to simplifying it and how you – I kind of knew that you're really into the holotropic breath work and that. So um, a bit of a loaded question because, yeah, that's just it. We can can achieve these – Again, altered states, unordinary, however we want to call them, but we can achieve these just simply through our breath, being present, sitting against the base of a tree, 
um, and sucking in a lot of air. <laughs> but even even without the uh, the holotropic breath work, just sitting there and breathing, going within, connecting without, it's just such a beautiful thing. Or just slowing down and watching a bee pollinate a flower right. and just yeah. just sitting there and watching the wind blow things. I mean, in that self, when you can get to that state, just realizing that everything is psychedelic and really right. to take yeah. in the beauty. I mean, I think life itself is the ultimate trip. The farthest I've ever yeah, been yeah. when right. I was completely out of my body, just in the cosmos, looking back at myself, I go, I have a body. I'm part of this thing. We wake up here every day. Like none of us know what we're doing here. Right. How is that not weird? I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. That that's, is pretty psychedelic. And that's yeah. That, that's even 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 with a lot of the communities, like that, like the Forest City Psychedelic Community. A lot of people are showing up have actually never never had a psychedelic experience, and I think they even feel a bit of nervous. Like, should I be here? And of course, you should be here. We're all like going through this experience together. This is a wild ride that we're actually on. Um, and then, you know, yeah, yeah. And I just like you know the part that you talk about. You know uh, that ex- that state that you get into. Uh, like you know, we talk a lot about you know, flow and, and, and reaching that state. And I, I'm a big believer in that. And I, I see it in, in my own life and how, you know, I'd be interested to hear how other you get other ways that you get to it. So breathing is one for, for myself. One of the biggest one has been like steam room um, sports. When you, you know, um, uh, someone talks about a lot is like, you know, removing the watcher. So that that second line of consciousness is no longer, you know, watching you and you're completely present and engaged in the moment. And a lot of those, you know, experiences that you have actually replicate that psychedelic experience, the perception of time changes um you know the, your, the the intense focus and the the frantic energy or thoughts go away like there's so many beautiful parallels with um the flow state that we can achieve perfectly consciousness and sober compared to a psychedelic experience so i'd love to hear like maybe just quickly uh, for my even for my own just like how you're integrating that breath work um into your life on a daily mm-hmm. routine and if there's any other ways that you're finding that you can really activate that state for yourself yeah, that's a great question. So like, um, you know, float tanks, great way. I like to mm. just be out in nature and hike. Um, drumming is also another drumming. way. Mm. Drumming, yeah. meditation, doing well like ritual and ceremony. I mean, that's so psychedelic in itself to like create a ceremony, go out, give thanks. I mean, you know, strange things can start to unfold <laughs> when you start to engage in the world and, and, and whatnot. And then, yeah, breath work. And so, you know, my at home, like uh, breath work technique is kind of like a mindfulness meditation, body scanning. I do a lot of somatic processing and I find that even um, doing somatic processing is psychedelic. So like, you know, something I'll do is just like, I'll start by sitting up, just slowing my, my, uh, my, my thoughts down, taking a couple deep breaths into my belly. Then maybe I'll, I'll feel some tension in my body. I'll stretch. I'll breathe into that. Mm. Then lie on my back and take a couple deep breaths, amplify whatever's going on in there. And then I go, Oh, well, okay. I feel this tension here in my shoulder. What does it feel like to breathe into that and make that feeling bigger? And then, so like, I'll just be curious. And then I go, Oh, well, what happens if I push on it and massage it? What does that feel like? Oh yeah. There's a lot of sadness there. Oh, what happens when I relax that and breathe into it? Oh wow. That sadness really wants to come up. Okay. Now I can let myself cry a little bit and let that out. Um, so, uh, you know, learning a lot of tools that I've done with breath work and just like incorporating these different like body work techniques, somatic processing techniques, meditation. Um, so there's, there's a whole bunch of tools and, you know, the way that I see a lot of this stuff is that whether it's psychedelics, breath work, drumming, these are all vehicles and all this is inside of us. And these are different vehicles to get there. Obviously, you know, different kind of experiences, but they're all vehicles to go inside. 
And once you can go inside, mm-hmm. I mean, it's all there. Right. And yes. Ugh. Reconnecting, reconnecting with the nature that is the human body. It's a yeah. beautiful thing. And I guess one more question for you, Kyle, before we let you go. Um, what's your wildest dream for the earth? You're a man who is a healer, caring individual. You obviously didn't decide to go home. You stayed here with us. So uh, you must have some <laughs> something in the works. What's your wildest dream for the earth? Whew, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> you know, I've always like envisioned, um, well, it's interesting. I, I always like, this is probably one of the biggest questions I have is how are we integrating technology with nature? And so, mm. you know, I always have this romanticism of just going back, right. Of like going back to the way that things were. And I know that Western technology has also brought a lot of good. I mean, wouldn't be here doing this. We're not dying in, in our thirties and forties for the most part from, right. from certain things. And so I would love to see a more integrative approach to, to living. How do we return to nature, but also not throw out like all this technology? It's something like kind of like Terrence McKenna said, which kind of freaks me out. I don't know how much I believe in like the AI and uploading my consciousness to the cloud. That kind of freaks me out. I'm not too sure how I feel mm-hmm. about that. <laughs> but um, like, how do how can we kind of like Star Wars, right? Like, how do we bring this technology, but still live in harmony with nature? Right. Um, you know, kind of just this idea of spaceship earth, like we are here, yeah. right? And how do we all kind of start working together and realizing that we're all here on spaceship earth together and right. we're not separate. And how do we come together as communities to be more sustainable, but also very integrative at the same time? Um, you know, who knows, maybe we might have to get off a of spaceship earth at some point. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe our destiny is in the stars. I, I have no idea, right. but there's a part of me that feels like we're stored here and we should take care of what we have here. And so exactly. how can we slow down as a culture and a world and really start to focus on what's important maybe that's relationships and taking care of what's around i mean obviously there's these big these big issues that we need to tackle uh, i mean health pollution da, 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 da. right but yeah i think a more integrative approach to living is is what my dream is that's beautiful that's uh, yeah, said said like a psychedelic. You can see the nature connectedness <laughs> through through your words, and you couldn't have said it better to wrap up an episode of the Rewild My Bio podcast, Kyle. So I thank you very very much for being here, my man. It was thank a pleasure you. to talk to you. Um, tell folks thank where they can find uh, you and your work if they're looking. Sure. For yeah. You. If anybody's interested in checking out um, what we're doing at Psychedelic Today, that's psychedelictoday.com. If you're interested in our education, um, psychedeliceducationcenter.com. Um, we're on all the podcast platforms. So if you just type in Psychedelics Today anywhere, you'll find us. Um, Instagram, Facebook, all that Psychedelics Today. And then also, if you want to follow more of my personal stuff, that's uh, Setting Sun Wellness, um, settingsunwellness.com and on Instagram, Setting Sun Wellness. Awesome. Yeah, I will definitely. Thank you for your work, Kyle. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, just, just, it's been followed for a long time and, and I know you've made a, a big effect in the world and inspired a lot of people. And I hope you will continue on this journey. It, it means a lot for all of us here. Thank you. And I hope you guys continue to get this. I mean, this is important, yeah. the interconnection of nature and rewilding. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so important. Without a doubt. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I really do appreciate it. I will make sure everything there is linked in the show notes as well as the discount code which will be rewild my bio thanks again kyle for doing that and uh i hope you guys enjoyed the show please stop by leave a rating and review if you have a minute to do that i really appreciate it but until next time 
You guys stay wild. Thank you for listening to the Rewild My Bio podcast. Please subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating if you've enjoyed this episode. I would greatly appreciate it if you shared the show with your friends, if of course you think they would like it. You can also visit rewildmybio.com to download previous episodes and sign up for the newsletter. In the newsletter, I share blogs and bonus content from my health promotion research, along with practical tips to help you rewild in a modern world. Please follow along on Instagram and Facebook at rewildmybio and on Twitter at Sean Slade. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay wild.